Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. Jesus, welcome back to the show. Our show. Remember our show? Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> do remember. I was joking earlier, we should change the name uh, to East Meets, meets West because you're uh, again on the East Coast. I know, right? I mean, when I look at the last couple of weeks, it's been crazy. Like, I feel like I'm rediscovering all of the U.S. Rediscovering travel. This is Remember, remember there was mm-hmm. uh, a COVID thing happening? There was at some point. I remember, vague vague was, recollection right? of that. Uh, travel was all... Yeah, exactly. Although we were, you know, I, I think we, we probably traveled more than the average person during the height of COVID or the maybe not height, but whatever, the COVID period. Well, we, we, we is a lot of people because I think I went on one trip with you. No, I think you were the one you that was I could like at least count two or three everywhere. that you went on. But, uh, maybe two. But maybe yeah, two. that's one of those weird things where like now travel is back in full swing and, and uh, it actually feels like there's more people traveling than even before. Um, certainly the traffic looks the same way out here in LA. But yeah, the, the airports have been pretty packed. I, it is super interesting, the dynamic that you see mm-hmm. now of what may be the new normal people that are, you know, the whole who wears masks, who doesn't. Yeah. When is the right time? So we're, it, like, and like we're all coming up with our own kind of, I think, equations to that. There's the the folks that are in the camp of never, never wanted to, never, never mm-hmm. will. Uh, I think those folks are pretty happy about the current scenario, right? And then there's the other camp. Which never is will the, take it off. Never would take it off. I mean, to me, it's still like I do find it a little bit amazing when I see people literally walking outside by themselves with a mask yeah. on in the woods. And while I, I, I really try not to judge people, of I really course. do, not, you know, because I think everyone has their own thing going on. But I do think to myself, man, if it really did require when you're walking by yourself with a mask on, then we would be all in trouble. And it's an important if it was if, if something was that like that infectious that that's what was required, like we would all be in trouble. Yeah, it would certainly have added negatively to the, to the, to the impact. I think it's an important reminder to, to and, and the flight attendants and the captains say that on the, on the planes, right? Don't judge your neighbor. It's interesting, like those kind of principles are coming back to the forefront because they're good ones. I was reminded of this recently mm-hmm. when I was in Nashville, one of my like 86 trips in the last two months, when I was in Nashville and I had um, dinner with some dear friends of mine who were like very conservative politically, very conservative, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the, the husband, like, wears a mask all everywhere. And it, it, it sort of, like, kind of, like, debunks or whatever the, 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 the theory about, well, here's people who wear it. Now, in his case, he actually has an, an autoimmune condition. And so he wears it right. as a precaution that he started in COVID but I don't think is ever going to go away. But if you just see that guy walking in the terminal and you're looking at it with a strictly political lens, it's easy to go, oh, well, this guy must be, you know, left right. of center. All the judges, and it's like right the now. exact opposite. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. And I'm sure there's people, it, lots it of them walking around without masks that are the exact opposite direction. You know what I mean? Right, right. No, I, I, I totally get that. Um, but I, th- I do think, to your point, it's, it's, it is a reminder to all of us to just not be a little more kind about that stuff and less judgy. Um, and frankly, I'm, I'm in the camp of, like, whatever makes you comfortable, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay with me either way, right? Except for um, the guy who takes the middle seat and wants both of the armrests, because that, that's not cool with me. So the, even if it makes yeah, him comfortable. Yeah, jerk. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> that guy's a jerk. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I know we're we're uh, we're trying to drive a better, kinder culture, um, which is maybe a good opening to our first courage or cringe about Netflix's internal culture because there's some big changes there. We got some fun topics today. We got Netflix culture issues. We got Tucker Carlson after this terrible shooting that happened and people coming after him hard for claims that he's advocating a replacement theory ideology, which mm-hmm. the, the gunman seems to in some cases have had or versions of it. And then the third uh, story, obviously all over the place now about Elon you know, putting the Twitter deal on hold and theories about this all just being one giant troll, which wouldn't surprise me for a guy who like shot a car out into space. You know what I mean? But um, anyway, some fun topics, but the culture one is interesting because because obviously it hits right at the heart of some of the stuff we're talking about. And Netflix took a, kind of an interesting tact. Um, I'll frame two seconds really quickly, but I'd, I'd love your kind of thoughts on the first thing that you thought about when you saw this headline, right? So, and this is from The Insider, but there's been gobs of stuff on this, right? Netflix tells employees they can quit if they don't want to work on content they disagree with, according to new company culture guidelines. So basically, um, just this week, uh, Netflix updated its, or uh, end of last week, I think, up, updated its company culture guidelines for the first time since 2017, which in digital world is a long time, right? That's half a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they sure. added this clause that says artistic expression. It's like a whole section within the culture guidelines mm-hmm. for the company. And it warns employees, basically, that they can work somewhere else if content is going to be counter to their personal values. So here's a quote. And then I'd love your thoughts on kind of what the first thing you thought about it. So not everyone will like or agree with everything on our service. We let viewers decide what's appropriate for them versus having Netflix censor specific artists or voices. Depending on your role, you may need to work on titles you perceive to be harmful. If you'd find it hard to support our content breath, Netflix may not be the best place for you. It's pretty uh, clear. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it is super interesting in what they're doing, the approach, because it's almost like trying to course correct company culture like in midstream, right? Um, but does feel aligned to at least decisions that they seem to be supporting, right? Because they would definitely have gotten heat. Obviously, there was a whole Chappelle situation and the the push from folks that felt very offended because of this trans, trans, transgender jokes he was making. But there was also, like, other content, and then the more conservative side of the equation was very uh, up in arms as well uh, that they're pushing. And, uh, you know, my, my initial reaction, I would say, going back from a, from a courage or cringe situation was... I did find it courageous because at least it feels like it's going to be a, a consistent stance that they're trying to take and really being really clear with their employees. That and, and it's not, it's not, I think I see it more of like, listen, this is the way that we're, this is really important to us. Artistic expression is really, really important to us. If we haven't been clear about that point before, let us go ahead and re-clarify that point. And we want people to be here who support artistic expression. And if you can't support artistic expression, all artistic expression, even the ones you don't agree with, because I think that's the thing that most people kind of forget is like is is once to say, oh yeah, I, I support free speech, along with that free speech aligns with what I believe sure. in. I think the real test is when when you support it when you don't agree with yeah. it, right? And and I actually do love I love the stance that they're taking. I like the position. I like that the fact that they're making it as part of their corporate culture. Um, and resetting that bar, it is interesting what the, the thing I think about it immediately, so then what happens from here? What kind of fallout will they get, right? As we've talked about plenty of times for a number of these companies that are both in the tech and creative sector and content sector, and they're kind of in an intersection of both of those, many companies tend to be definitely lean a lot more left than right, right? Center left, I would say, at least, if not a lot more than that. So when it comes to fighting for talent, fighting for... Yeah, the kind of talent, the kind of talent you would t- traditionally be going after. What does that do to Netflix um, in terms of retaining uh, and recruiting people to come work with them? Right? Does that become a turnoff for many of those folks that typically work in that kind of companies that would normally lean a lot more? Like, yeah. Right. It feels like a great nod to to audiences in general. Uh, but um, but I'm very curious of what it what it means for them I think it's gonna, uh, internally in terms it'll of be it'll be a kind of a segmented response I think I think the people who are really really you know passionate and believe that this is an obstacle that they could have predicted and of course Netflix is going to take this stance they're probably not going to be in, impacted and will still continue to 
you know, protest and agitate and do different mm-hmm. things. But I think that that segment gets a lot smaller. I think there's a big chunk of people who were like, yeah, everybody's complaining about the stuff they don't like, who now see this and go, oh, yeah, I'm good. Like, I don't need to, you know, make this a cause for me to risk my job over. And I think that on the other way of this, uh, the other segment is people who weren't motivated by this one way or another who are like, are going to be just generally not, uh, you know, they're not going to be impacted too much by this announcement. The interesting thing to me was... But by the way, those those three sectors yeah. are you referring to employees or consumers? employees? Employees, yeah, people inside the building. Got it, got it. Yeah, and okay. and and the mm-hmm. the thing that was interesting to me though is in a way the kind of signal that it says that you know Netflix views itself yes of course supportive of artistic expression but also as a platform. In other words, they don't want to play editor. They don't want to be editor. They make it super clear right in that quote from that guy that like we we don't want to be the the arbiter of of basically what gets made or not. We want to put it out there, right? Um, uh, the you know ba- basically. What, what do you mm-hmm. think of that point, though, Charlie? Because that, if, if there's anything that to me is like, shut up, like what are you talking about? Right, it's that is that part. Yeah, that the- uh, is that part. And I, I I think because when you say you don't want to be arbiter, well, you do. You are an arbiter. You decide what gets funded, what gets greenlit. For sure, you're literally are funding productions. You have a bunch of production companies that are constantly pitching you projects. How much of this is really being driven by the audience versus what you're doing? And how much are you actually doing to let to give to the audience, to let them kind of choose what gets there, right? Because they also get to control what gets promoted to people, what gets eyeballs, right? Whether or not it's featured. Of course, you know, like and in the carousel and whatever. And... So you're doing tons of things to influence who actually sees what no content. No question. And ultimately, you're still deciding at the going all the way to the beginning what content gets made or not so how are you not an arbiter it's even, of what it, content it, it, gets it's made? even simpler than that it's like they control who gets into the room to pitch them stuff to begin with right it's like hey we're gonna oh, for sure yeah we're so, working so with these five agencies the you know and and whatever gets through caa and uta or utg whatever like all these agencies that's what we're going to end up making and that definitely is happening because in the past you could pitch netflix directly and now good luck i mean it's got to have a package and have talent and everything attached to it so, yeah, you're right, right. That, that on some level it is a bit of a misdirection because they're responsible for making some editorial guidance on things. But I think what they're trying to say is sure. we don't want to censor things after the fact, right? It's kind of like the cake and eat it, too. It's like we're going to make the decision on what goes it on there. We don't want to complain yeah. about it. See, look, because I, I – yeah, look, when you, when you start dissecting that statement – this idea that we don't choose our audience chooses, like, no, that's not true. You choose. Now, if you're saying we're going to choose and our orientation going to be on artist expression first, right, and not be concerned whether or not this aligns with our own personal views, okay, I'm okay with that. But don't put it on anyone else in terms of who's actually choosing, right, because that, that is a big part of it. So I, I think that, to me, is a part that, that does not make sense of what you're saying. I do – I was encouraged more in the sense of saying – this is a core value, core belief that as a company we want to have. We want to value artistic expression more than alignment to any specific POV. And, and I would even have doubled down and and if we're doing a good, our job right, we should have a lot of people on both sides of the aisle that are, that are a little bit upset. You know the thing I always tell you, like, in a good, in a good negotiation, everyone comes out a little bit upset. Yeah. Like, that's, how you know, that's a good sign of a good negotiation. I think that's what we're talking about here as well. Yeah, although I don't know how upset Netflix truly is. I, I mean, the first thing I wrote down was courage on this one. It's 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 a toss-up like all these things are, but I think I landed more on that side simply because they came out with something that at least on paper looks like a perspective and point of view that they're trying to communicate to their employee base. And, you know, so there's some clarity there. I think there's some double speak there and, and there's some sure. posturing and... 800 lawyers looked at it before they put it in that guideline, no doubt. But at least it's sort of clear. There's a lot of cringeworthy things that are part of it as well, right? Because mm-hmm. I look at it from my standpoint and, you know, I look at this full breadth of content. I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Like, where is, I want to, like, where's the family programming, the Christian program? I'm not talking about just that you have it, but that you have Netflix original on it. Like, where is that? Right. Because I see a lot of Netflix sure. originals that have nothing to do with that. A ton of horror, a ton of shoot 'em ups, a ton of you know, social uh, issues that a person like me doesn't necessarily gravitate to. So I don't see a full breadth of content, right? Actually, the more I talk about it, the more I'm cringe, Jesus. But, um, but like, and that, <laughs> happens, okay. that happens with me. That happens I mean, by the way, on, on, this, on this, Charlie, because the, the other way I think about this is obviously when you, get, when you put out this kind of policy and the timing of it is so interesting, right? Because 
yes, is, is for your employees. Yes, it's about maybe resetting some of the corporate culture, but it's also sending signals to Wall Street, right? You just got, for the first time, really hammered, right, for losing subscribers. And you and I kind of debated what maybe potential calls a subscriber. You know, you sort of saw from perspective, like they've kind of gone off the rails and some of the woke content they're putting in. I was like, well, that's, that's yeah, I thought about it. Like, that's actually really interesting. It could also be that they've also gone the other direction. We say we're not going to listen to our audience and employees that don't like the stance that we're taking and supporting content that they like strongly believe, in, especially younger audiences who are more likely to be actually streaming Netflix content. Yeah. So I don't necessarily understand where this fits, which is part of why these are going to give more courage than, than, than courage, because I don't know if it really helps them necessarily to appease any one side, other than doubling down on something that at least they could point to, this is what we've been trying to do, which is now codifying that position about artistic expression first than anything else. Yeah, I think there's a number of factors, as I said before. I think there's a supply issue, a demand issue. I think there's a content issue. I think there's... But, but to answer your question about what role you know, Wall Street factored into this or the investment market or whatever else, those different constituencies, I'd say a great deal because they are looking at that and they've built this behemoth and behemoths can only go in one direction, right? And so, yeah, there, there's there's no question that there's some appealing that's being done in that regard, uh, you know, to those forces because how, how, how could they not, right? I mean, that's that's just the reality. Do you think part of that is, uh, is why they're trying to position this as being more of a platform? Yeah. Right. As a platform where the audience kind of gets to say, but like, I don't know how anyone would see that and, but the, and be convinced by that. Point. That's been the, the, the kind of straddle that these you guys have had. Like five seconds on. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> what the business actually that's is. That's been the kind of straddle that these guys have been on for a while. Right. In the beginning, it was very clear that they were a service. Right. Get DVDs very mm-hmm. quickly. And sure. we've got this really clever way of doing it and follow your cue. Yeah. yeah like a technology yeah. service company. And then it, then there was this moment where it was, well, we're going to, you know, start making our own stuff and kind of open it up. And then they started leaning more into this, well, we're a brand and we have a point, you know, we have a content that's ours and nobody else's, right? Even though that's not necessarily stuff they make, it's stuff that they acquire. Right. And, you know, now they're in that little bit of that space, right? Where the Netflix original was a way to draw people in and keep them there and all this other stuff. But I don't know, you know, to me, it's still unclear whether the amount, the billions that they've thrown at original Netflix content is going to be uh, like a saving grace for them now in this new world. I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe it maybe it will. Well, I, just, I just think they've been a they've been a content company for a long time. Mm-hmm. They've been operating as a content company for a long time. Right. A lot of it is like hits based. Now you can say what inputs they use to determine what hits they green light, who gets in the room, et cetera. And. And even from that perspective, we could say maybe they're a lot, lot more data-driven than other players would be on deciding what is the kind of right kind of formula. But they're very driven by talent, very driven by hits. They're investing a bunch in content. They brought in a bunch of people on the content side of the organization. They replaced people that were more tech people for more content people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those where... You know, if it, if it sounds like a horse, looks like a horse. Yeah, maybe a horse. I wonder what role organizationally uh, the fact that you've got two CEOs and one of them is much more of a tech service guy and the other one's all content. I wonder what role that plays on the culture. Yeah, I think well, that's maybe trying to balance that. But the, they brought in the content guy is kind of my point. Yeah, right? like that's where the investment has been. So. Uh, I don't quite get this. We're a platform, and look, maybe there, there, maybe there's more that comes with it. Um, and the more, frankly, I dig into that point about it being a a a a, pla- a platform or position itself as a platform rather than being a, um, uh, a a content company, I think the probably more cringe I will be faster. Yeah. Um, and thinking about this because it's just it's just not the case. Hmm. They're they're not that. Well, we'll see where this one goes. Uh, there are oftentimes in the news. I'm sure you know, like you said, everybody will be slightly unhappy. So. Um, you know, maybe that's the that's the there best position that we can hope for. That'd be the goal. There you go. Speaking of culture, Jesus, and uh, we've obviously had some uh, you know further degradation in our own American culture, driven by this Buffalo mass shooting that happened. Um, mm-hmm. When was this? This was Friday. When did this go down? Uh, this just happened over the weekend. I, yeah. I think you're right. It may have been Friday. When that happened. Friday or Saturday. Um, it was in the weekend, right? I mean, it may have been Saturday. I know it was in the weekend, but I don't recall the exact date. But there was, you know, this, this uh, person who killed 10 people, wounded three others. Oh, Saturday. Saturday it happened. 
So kill 10 people, mm-hmm. wounded three others at a supermarket in a predominantly black neighborhood. This is in Buffalo. And apparently he wrote right. this manifesto espousing white supremacist views, including the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory. And this is where uh, Tucker Carlson has been embroiled into this. Now, for, for those who may not know, this kind of replacement theory is a, uh, a view of, you know, mainly immigrants. And, you know, we're not and because of the immigrant population that tends to, you know, come to the United States of recent, you know, in recent history, you have a lot of immigration from Latin America and other places that where you don't have basically European people immigrating. Now, at some point in our history, that was different. You know, mm-hmm. go back to the early 20th century. You had a lot of immigration from Europe. But for the last, you know, modern history, the time we've been alive, it's been a lot of people who are not European descent, right? So in, in, this idea of the replacement theory from a, a, a conspiracy theory standpoint or the white supremacist version of it says basically that there is a, a cabal of elites that are orchestrating an infiltration of the country by people who are non-European, non-white. And the purpose of that is really to, and you get different gradations of this, I'm sure, but on some level, basically oust everyone who's here in the country, take their jobs, take their, you know, whatever, their livelihood, and also change the electorate and change the composition, the culture, the faith, like every part of the country, right? So it's th- th- that's like mm-hmm. a high-level view of what this replacement ideology you know, stems from. And Tucker Carlson, on his show, although not using the term replacement theory, he does use it, but it's to mock it, right? To mock the fact that he's being uh, called an advancer of this. But he has talked about concepts that are related to the replacement theory, uh, namely the fact that you know the Democratic Party in particular is very interested in supporting people that are going to be valuable to them politically and bringing them into the country and displacing a lot of people here. So there's elements of it that are like spot on replacement theory, you know, stuff. So mm-hmm. there's been a big yeah. outcry, Jesus, following this mass shooting. Yeah. yeah, and especially around him it's and his show around immigration, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the the thing about it is that this whole idea of replacement theory is one that has been definitely embraced by the, by the far, far right. And in circles that are like, you know, people that are in that kind of KKK kind of uh, grouping, right? I think initially it was more focused on Jewish people, but then kind of has gone beyond that. And you're right, the thing about Tucker and the reason why it's problematic is that he does use similar terminology, just not calling it exactly that. I think a lot of his points tend to tend to focus on the efforts that the Democratic, uh, the Democrats, I'm sorry, have placed in immigration policy and then using those efforts to try to bring in an electorate that is going to be more uh, friendly to them and then replacing, I think, I think at times, I think he's even called them historical uh, Americans, I think is the word he uses, which, you know, can, it can very easily sound like code like white people, right? So to me, the, the, the challenge is that you're using different wording, but a similar language that we're talking about, similar, similar sentiment, even if it's different wording. And look, I, I would say, I think about this in a couple of different ways. One is I don't see us, do I blame Tucker Carlson for what happened in Buffalo? No, I don't. I think this is part of a broader movement of people who are feeling that the country is changing very quickly underneath them, who I'm sure over the last couple of years, especially over 2020, that saw what happened with the this with these with this global movement that was kicked off with George Floyd, uh, with the George Floyd tragedy, um, feeling very scary. Like all of a sudden, all these people want change and all this quick change that is happening, and you get this reaction in some cases overreaction by folks that were ready maybe, you know, missing opportunities, maybe feel that other people are trying to replace them. And then you add this broader sentiment that's been around for a long time. I think that's what gets us to this kind of place. Now, so while I don't place blame on him directly on this, do I think that his hands are clean of being part of the, the machine that, that is getting people thinking in these terms? Absolutely not. I, I think, I mean, absolutely. I put that kind of blame on him, on that broader movement. Mm. I do think there's a lot of folks that right now look at the country and they're freaked out by what they see. You have census data that continues coming out that shows this country is getting more diverse, younger and more diverse. Um, you've seen movements that have happened over the last couple of years. Um, you've seen increase in diversification at all levels, uh, including Supreme Court. And I think for folks that love how we, you know, for the Make America Great, you know, people that really think about it, not just Make America Great, but if that's code for Make America White, how it used to be, I think 
that is a scary place for a lot of people. Yeah. I, 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 and I do think that Tucker and his part of his brand is to feed into that that fear, that hysteria, and using a little bit different words, but it's still the same broad sentiment that he's pushing. So I think, I think to me the question is is not whether whether or not he's not well if if he is guilty of at least that part, then what is going to be the outcome of those efforts? I think that, Maybe it's not specifically this Buffalo event, yeah. but there's other things that I think that are happening that you could tie back to him because of that. I agree broadly with everything that you said. I think there's a little bit of devil in the details there that I want to kind of tease out. One of them is the <clears throat> the accusation, correlation, supposition, whatever, that the source of his thinking is white supremacist literature. That's actually, in the piece in Yahoo News, it quotes mm-hmm. um, somebody, Michael Edison Hayden, who is a spokesperson from the Southern Poverty Law Center, and I'm going to get into that source in a, in a second, but he says the rhetoric that Tucker uh, espouses finds its origins in white supremacist literature, right? He says, while Tucker stops short of naming Jewish people as the orchestrators, he uses general terms such as the elite. And then this, this person is saying that when Tucker says the elite, he means Jews. And when he says the things he says mm. that are a replacement, he means to reference this kind of, uh, uh, you know, white supremacist literature. That's something that I think requires significantly more evidence to actually make that claim. Then if somebody says something that some lunatic or some other person has espoused at some point or had a, a you know, point of view on, right, like... You know, I don't know, there was, you know, maybe some personality liked a particular type of art. And so I do, too. So therefore, you know, we're, we're somehow related. I, I think that that's a really, you know, kind of a problematic uh, statement to make, because I don't I don't know that that's the case. I doubt that that actually is very much the case. Here's the other thing that I would say. Right. The last point, I'd love for you to respond mm-hmm. to this. So the with me, with Tucker, it's so mixed because I still think he is probably he's the brightest just on a pure intellectual level, one of the brightest people that's on TV right now, and he's an incredible writer, and he's had this long history of welcoming divergent voices onto his forums, right? And uniquely so. But as we've talked about a couple times, that's the part that's left. And I can't help the times that I see, and I don't watch the show, but I see clips on YouTube. The times that I see those clips, that there is this kind of veneer, this edge, this sort of like just more, you know, kind of a brittleness, and it's an anger in a way that has started to build in in his programming that frankly did not exist before. And for that, I'm very mm-hmm. sorry, and I, and I see that happening, and I have to recognize that. So when you say, Jesus, does he contribute to this kind of machine that is spinning up all of this angst and whatever, I mean, on an objective level, I would have to say yes. I think he is doing that. But I, I also view that as a more recent de- uh, thing and a departure from what actually made him as popular as he is. So I think that that's, like, really sad in a way. So I'll let you yeah, comment on that. I, I mean, I, th- yeah. I think, I think his, his popularity, though, has raised to a new level. And I think, unfortunately, I think there's more people that are in the camp that like the new version of Tucker than those that dislike the fact that where he's now where he now is right versus what he was. Do you before. think it's more people that like uh, this version, that, or, that, or more people that like being whipped up and titillated and just made angry, like they, they got to get off on that? Well, well, that's what I mean. I mean, look, I, I do think he's a very smart guy. I also think that all his researchers, all the whole group that works behind the scenes to making that show is what it is. I think they're very plugged in, understanding what the current political climate is, what are the kind of issues that get people riled up. I mean, and and they saw, I think, very much so what, you know, like what a President Trump was able to capture and capitalize on, right? This sort of fear that was happening uh, and this this anxiety that was being created. And I think they're leaning really, really hard into that. Look, because I, I think it was the opposite. If he was seeing that by doing this, by having this approach, it was being less effective at engaging people, if it was getting less audience numbers, then I, I think that guy's smart enough to adjust your direction. Mm. So the, the the challenge here, what you were saying even earlier, where I know he gets, and I've seen some of those pieces where they're saying that that ideology is being directly attributed to to very like racist ideology, uh, that there's a direct link. I, I don't know, but the the part that I that I that I just have a hard time giving him a pass on is that he does know that there is a link, 
and does it anyway. Yeah. And when you say the elite, when he says they, when he leaves, just just a little bit open so that you kind of fill in the blank who they means to you. But what I'm really tapping into is this fear of change that is happening. This 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 anxiety that the world that the country is moving away from what it was from from becoming this thing that is all woke, become this thing that is that is no longer reflective of what old America was. I think that is what he's leading on hard. It, so mm-hmm. whether it's by whether it's direct or by association, this is where I have a hard time giving it a yeah, pass. Yeah, and I wouldn't give him a pass either. And I think that see what I'm saying? Like, I like, do, in, and, in, I, and I the, I think the whole they thing is is what I what I react and, to. And, he says that a lot. And I agree with you 100. percent And it and it exists though. And this is a part where we I don't think there's anywhere near the same level of scrutiny to the they versus us dynamic that happens in other aspects of big corporate media, where it's like I mean constantly on. You know, yeah. what's his name? Lawrence, I uh, forget his last name, but uh, Rachel Maddow, Lawrence, tri- not Tribe, I forget his name, but I'll think about it in a second. MSNBC guy, Lawrence something. Uh, Keith Olbermann. Um, uh, Don you, Lemon. Don right? Lemon. Guys, I mean, people crew. are like, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. these people are despicable. They're to be hated and reviled and the whatever. Deplorables, right? Wasn't that the, the thing from Hillary? Right. And I mean, it's kind of the same sort of sentiment, right? <clears throat> Yeah. But yeah, I decry the whole they versus us thing because I think that automatically by its definition is putting people in kind of polar opposite, you know, camps and I think that that's really bad. I mean, I mean the, the thing that is really sad to me, Charlie, when I see what happened in Buffalo and this person, by the way, he also live streamed it, right? That's the other thing. With something strapped to his head apparently. On Twitch. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it was on Twitch. On Twitch, like yeah. 10 minutes or something. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I that I worry about when I hear this um, is that you know we had talked about actually in the context of what what has been happening in a lot of these education board meetings and how angry people are and how much people are being just driven by the rhetoric and how the movies are now becoming more and more violent. Like I, I still think it's another place where and for, I hate to say it, but I think we're going to end up in some a similar dynamic at some point sooner rather than later where someone's going to try to take you know matters into their own hand and it's it's a really sad moment that we're living in. And I think it's unfortunate, but no one seems to really be interested in wanting to bring down the volume, bring down the heat. And if anything, I think people, whether they want to admit it or not, they're leaning into that additional heat. They're 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 adding that sort of fleet, you know, fanning those fires because that's what makes for good content. That's what makes for good there's engagement. There's definitely and then kind of yeah. wanting to wash their hands away from the whole thing once like a tragedy. Yeah, happens. there's a big lean into. That's it. what I see, and I think there is to your point. There is there is some of that. There is that as well. Not just some of that. There is that as well on the other side, and and then people are like, well, you know, they kind of once again trying to you know wash their hands from the whole thing once a tragedy occurs and it's, it's just not it's you know, ironic it's, to me uh, that, it's, very it's ironic to me that, that Tucker Carlson who famously doesn't use social media nevertheless has his programming is very much about that you know lately again the, the sound bites the YouTube clips all of this you know taking down and flaming and all this other stuff is a way to cater to that very same algorithm that's got us all spiraling yeah, into different this whole staff is super plugged in you know you don't think those guys are like completely like in there on all the, the groups the chats what people are talking about. I mean, that's the... Nope. As a matter of one, one of the guys from his team got... Uh, wasn't he fired because of... It, I forgot who reported this, that he was um, going on some of the blogs and like really engaging on a super far-right conspiracy theory issue. Someone reported it, and the guy ended up getting fired. I think it was one of his producers, I'm going to say. Um, I don't recall how long ago this was, but I mean, he has a whole staff there. Like all these shows are very well, there, there's very well. Staffed, there's no so question. It's not him directly. But, he has a whole. But group. the one distinction, though, with Tucker is that he writes his own show. Like he actually, when he's reading the teleprompter, it's his words, which is not the same in other cases, right? So the team may be plugged in and getting him, you know, feeding him those things. But right. that's part of the aspect that actually makes him so like witty and interesting. It's like it's so funny. It's a lot of the, the way that he says things, but. To, to, to the point you made earlier, there is also this edge of sarcasm and this like dripping kind of, um, yeah, sarcasm really, that on one side is funny, but it's so consistent. It's so consistent. It's like, okay, you know, we're the entire open. If you watch an open of his show, like the first, you know, five, ten minutes of it when he's kind of setting up the show – Literally, the entire thing is almost like a farce because the words that he's saying are complete like fiction that he's basically written about the way that he believes people are operating. Right. And it's like but it's every day, every day. There's not like a break in that. And I think that that does negatively contribute 
to you know the kind of dialogue that we probably should be having. Now, I mentioned to you, so point number one was, because somebody has a point of view, can you say the source of that or their inspiration is this? That was my first kind of beef or concern. Mm-hmm. The second one is this, that the main source of a lot of these articles is the Southern Poverty Law Center. And I don't know how much research you've done on the Southern Poverty Law Center, but I've done quite a bit. They do have in kind of big corporate media the sort of good housekeeping seal of approval type of designation where when people say that, because it's an organization that tracks hate crime and things like that, the assumption is these people know what they're talking about, right? But if you dig beneath the surface and you look at, and I have looked at articles from the New York Times, from USA Today, from Politico, from uh, you know journalists who are like local to the Southern Poverty Law Center, and tracked all of the things that have happened with that organization, from infighting to accusing, uh, accusations of racism and sexual harassment and like all these different things. And then you also look at some famous cases where they've had massive retractions, like uh, the case of uh, Dr. Ben Carson, who at one point got labeled like an extremist and they had to retract it. When you look at all these things, and not just them, there's a number of organizations on their hate watch thing that I look at and, you know, I can read you some of what they actually claim where I'm like, well, clearly this is this also has a perspective, right? And you can see it pretty clearly when you notice that the only thing that they track in terms of the hate is far right stuff. None of the far left stuff that's sure. out there. Yeah. So, so like to yeah. me, the, 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 the constant attribution only to them as this sort of source of unbiased truth, it, it's, it's, it, it just, like I look at this and I'm going, well, yeah, the, all, all of this may be true. But why, why is that the only source we consistently use in these conversations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's fair. Uh, and honestly, I don't know enough about the organization to like, really to have any response to that or even I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, argue any of those points. I, I think I'm, I'm in the camp of, I, with any of those kind of organizations, I think there is typically some type of agenda um, some type of perspective that is being brought forth. Obviously, just based on what you described, is probably one that is looking a little bit harder at more conservative circles mm-hmm. and see what level of, of attribution can be placed in some of the dialogue, some of the rhetoric. Um, and while it's probably not fair to think of it that way, and we'll have to see something more, more, bi- more like less biased and having a more sort of broader view to really look at it all sources of of where this kind of rhetoric comes from, it also doesn't make it untrue, right? Uh, especially in those cases where you do see, when you look just right past the surface, it very quickly can see that there is some clear connection and if at least implied connection. And once again, going back to when we're talking about someone like a, like a Tucker, who is a smart dude, it's like, these guys know. It's not like they don't know. Like, oh, well, we had no idea that was a thing that people kind of attached, you know, to themselves to. We didn't realize people had this anxiety or fear about people that look different than them, right? So they're leaning into it. And, and yeah, it is, I think what we, what we probably need more of is other sources that are also looking at this and trying to fix the problem. What, what, I, what I haven't seen as much though, Charlie, maybe this is part of the problem is, I don't see as many organizations that are specifically looking to address this kind of issue that are maybe more leaning towards left outlets, right? That are looking at things that are impacting race, that are impacting diversity, and say, who are the who are the folks in the on the left side of the equation that are actually hurting this cause more than actually helping it? Yeah. Well, uh, or or pushing these kind of narrative. And if there are, maybe I'm just not familiar enough with them. I'm the first to admit it. Well, there there I'm are not, actually you know. a number of organizations that are considered extremist organizations on the left. Um, there's actually an organization called Counter Extremism, uh, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan, international policy organization that has like offices all over the world and they study all these different countries. But, you know, just a short list is like the Animal Liberation Front, Antifa, Black Bloc, uh, the Communist Party right. of the USA, the Earth Liberation Front, uh, Independent Media Center, Redneck Revolt, Youth Liberation Front. There's a bunch of these organizations, but they're significantly less known about. And here, this is an interesting point, Jesus, and I actually wanted to ask you about this. Mm-hmm. When you yeah. look at very far left Uh, extremist or terrorist organizations one of their hallmarks is they're very loosely organized they're very loosely knit right so the the Mm -hmm. whole the the thing with antifa it's like well there was a time when antifa didn't even exist like oh that's not even real 
then it was like, no, it is real, but it's, but it's just all these different people who vaguely subscribe to the same kind of ideology. What's interesting about the right-wing side of the equation is that they're very centrally uh, organized. And to yeah, me, the, yeah. the, the most interesting thing about this is the fact that if you think about it from a typical conservative liberal ideology, which I frankly I think is a mistake to attach to these groups at all, but if you were to think about it that way, conservatives are much more about localized kind of government, less centralization, and liberal progressives tend to be more about centralization. So it's interesting that at the extremes, it's the opposite. That is kind of interesting, although, yeah, that is very interesting. Although I would say also the left ideology is a lot more about the people, right? Um, even in the context of having more centralized government and more centralized policies, but it's very much about the people. And that's where I can see how many of these left organizations are leaderless for that reason, because it's, it's really focused on the people. Mm. But it, it is a, it's a really good point. But you're right, on the right, and part of, also probably makes it a little bit easier to track, right? And easier to figure out who leads them, what their agendas are. Um, yeah, so you think about even folks like Proud Boys and folks that are like in that kind of, you know, category, they are very, very organized. It's very clear who the leaders are. Yeah, absolutely. Are. Super clear. Uh, to your point, yeah. But if you look at Antifa, a, yeah, or even, even, something, dynamic, yeah. even something that's not extremist, but even look at BLM and some of the issues that they're having now, part of the problem sure, is they don't yeah. even know who to talk to. There's like nine BLMs. You know what I mean? It's like, who, who do we talk to? Who's the leader? Who's in charge? So I found that really well, interesting. Yeah, yeah that, that is that is true. But but if you think about the yeah, now you make me really think about this whole idea. Like if you think about more like very progressive, very liberal ideology, I, I will think it's. I mean, even look, let's let's go to the extreme political part, type of parties. People will think about like more like communism and things that are that are yes, they have leaders, but it's very about like spreading the wealth, spreading decision making. It's like we're all one, we're all equal. You can see how that kind of mentality leads to more leaderless organizations. That's something that is very hierarchical, which has my more tied to military way of thinking, right? And that's, a, you know, usually that's a thought process that gets more attached to the right side of the equation. I think that you, at, at the extremes, so ideologically, I think you can make that point, And at the extremes, you can, I think, make that point. But I think in, in, you know, towards the center or things that we've observed in history, it's much harder to make that point. If you think of communism... I mean, yeah. you've got Mao Zedong, you've got Pol Pot, you've got all these different guys, very centralized, huge government infrastructures to manage. The give, sure. you know, Stalin, Lenin, all these guys, right? They were easily to identify. And yeah, it was for the people. At least that was what they said. They ended up killing a bunch of people. But, but that's well, what they yeah, said. Yeah, but it was so. very centralized. And on the fascist side. That's a downside of dictators. For, <laughs> for sure. But then you've got fascists, you, you've got yeah. dictators on the right, right? Fascists, right? Uh, um, right, right. You know, who, who basically are also autocratic and everything, all decisions sure. are made by them, but th- clearly identifiable, right? Maybe less of a government intervention. But so I, I just found it interesting that at the very edges, like it's, it's um, kind of defies the, the typical you know, political well, lens. I, I think the, yeah, if you, if you go to the extremes, the two kind of types of organizations they meet that I think of is, is more like a command and control military style will probably that the way of thinking probably lines more to the right at the extremes community group where it's like all kumbaya probably hit the extremes and lives more to yeah. the left and I think that's where these organizations kind of end up, yeah. end up sort of falling military out. dictatorship or massive bureaucracy like one of the, the neither of those uh, <laughs> sounds good to me yeah p- pass pass on both alright I'll take neither alright let's um, so I, I guess on this just to kind of wrap it up though um, I guess I'm courage on the additional scrutiny maybe for Tucker. I hope it's a little bit of a wake-up call to him only, and I mean this in the absolute best way. I, I, I don't ascribe to 90% of what I'm reading about him, but I do think it's a wake-up call for him to really objectively look at what the content is that he's creating is doing. And I do think it's helping people stay whipped up and, and pissed off. I do think it's doing that. And I think that he's right. so much smarter and talented than that. And I would wish that he would, you know, find a way to, to return to some of those, those roots. So hopefully it's that. That's why I'm courage, despite the fact that I don't believe he's sitting there in his house in Connecticut reading Nazi literature. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, I just don't believe it. Um, right, and, and right. you know, but anyway, I, I'm still courage on this one. Word unit out. Is it courage as well? Yeah, I think it's also courage. Once again, I don't, I don't see him as directly responsible as he is exactly the reason why this tragedy happened 
but he is part of the machine that is capitalizing on this fear that people have about the country changing very quickly. And because he's capitalizing on that, I do think that there is a whole movement of people that are only becoming more anxious, are only becoming less tolerant. And and I think the downside of that is that people then, if everybody have other issues that are they're dealing with, you know, how many of those start thinking about or wanting to take action into their own? Yeah, head? I also um, I also feel the need to throw out here though my my one consistent criticism of the progressive left in this regard is that. They talk, mm-hmm. they talk a good game, but not in my backyard. You know, would never live there, would never want the neighbor, would never step foot in those neighborhoods. Like, it's, oh, you sure. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like sure, the, sure. the guy with the Confederate flag in the pickup, he's like, he's going to tell you, exa- it's like on his sleeve. He's telling you, he's like, I hate it. Don't bring it here. Right. I hate it. You know, the other people like nod at you and then still it's the same outcome or there's some systemic reason why you're not allowed in, right? Or some BS yeah. policy or something. So I think there's enough, there's, there's some blame to go around there as well. For sure, right, <laughs> for sure. And yeah, that's the kind of sad thing about it. You see that the, the end result looks actually pretty similar in both cases. It's just that one's a lot more in your face. Than the yeah, end. good point. All right, let's, let's end the show on a slightly, uh, you know, more positive, at least more comical, um, you know, subject. And that's Elon Musk putting the Twitter deal on hold. Uh, specifically, and of course, all of this is being done principally through tweets. Um, Our boy Elon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So basically, Elon Musk announces via tweet that he's put his purchase, which is, again, a $44 billion purchase of Twitter, on hold for now. He claims he's still committed to the acquisition, but he specifically points to a Reuters story that said that about 5% of Twitter's accounts are actually spam or automated. And Elon has a suspicion that it's actually a much larger number. Now, um, you know, obviously, he's if you just kind of read what's on paper or what's on tweet, he's saying, hey, hold on, let's study this because I think the number could be significantly higher. And he's throwing out big numbers like it could be, you know, 90 percent of the Twitter accounts are bots and spam and nonsense. Uh, the CEO of Twitter. Uh, Agarwal, I think is his last name, responded mm-hmm. with this like super lengthy explanation in a very kind of patient and professional way. And it, it, it's funny as a side. That poor dude, man. That, he's, that poor he guy. is like <laughs> as, not having a good month. As a total side note, Jesus, like if I was in that guy's ear, uh-huh. I'd be like, dude, don't talk like that because it makes you feel like you're not actually understanding who you're talking to. Like he should respond with like an emoji or something. You know what I mean? Like just make it more like at the same, like consider the forum, right? But anyway, so, you know, in part of this is like, let's study what is really fake. And then, yes, the subject, which, you know, most people can understand of potentially a new offer, i.e. discounted offer, is already been floated. Right. If we find that it's really 10 percent or 20 percent, well, then it it might not be worth 44 billion. This dude. I mean, there's so much to the story that is just hilarious. First of all, if you if that was a concern that you had. You can tell me that you just realized that's a possible concern, right? That you forget the offer, put that on the side. You went and acquired. What was the initial percentage, Charlie? I'm forgetting five. right now. Was it fifty uh, percent? It's five percent. No, the the the, the first uh, the the percentage of shares that he acquired. First oh, he he acquired nine percent. Oh, nine percent. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. sorry. It was nine percent, right? So this guy goes and acquires nine percent of all of the shares of Twitter. And at that point, it never crossed his mind to think about, is this a company whose value is real, who is like, because what he's accusing them now is like, is a bunch of basically like fluff and uh, um, um, like all the numbers are basically made up in terms of the audience mm-hmm. that is actually on there. So you're going to go and you're, you're going to make that, acquire that much share of the company and not even think about that. And then you're going to put in your first offer, not even think about that. And it's not till like your own stock is getting hit, till the market is going down. Now you're like, oh, well, wait a minute, let me let me rethink about this because I'm concerned about what your numbers are. I I really, and I and I can say in this case, I actually can speak from personal experience. I hate this type of negotiation when it comes to company acquisition. Like, where you're doing it in public opi- like, in the court of public opinion, basically. Yeah, and he actually violated their uh, their non-disclosure. At least is what was being right. stated That's by, right. by saying what metric. That Twitter uses to determine what percentage of their accounts may be, uh, may be fake accounts, like bots, basically, where they look at a random set of 100 accounts, and based on that random set, depending on the percentage of them that show up as being bot accounts, that's kind of how they determine what it is for the total company. Um, and he disclosed that. He's going to do his own version of that. And I just think it's really shitty negotiation 
to me, it kind of says a lot about him personally. Um, the fact that he's done so much of this over Twitter is like, I, I, you know, I was calling him early on, like the, the, the Trump of business, like doing it all, all through Twitter. The, the thing that I think about Charlie, honestly, is like, dude, is this guy like still really good as an entrepreneur? Mm. Or was he, was he really good before? Did it like, was very innovative, had a great idea, hired really smart people, and that, that made him really successful. And now he's let that success just get to a head, and now he's just kind of an ass, well, and that's what he is. Well, this goes to see, see what I'm saying. This like, goes like, to motivation just, because that it's a great question, but I think two things can be true at the same time. He could still be this amazing entrepreneur, and looking at his accomplishments and new ventures, you would probably say, "Yeah, there's a guy who's thinking about really big stuff." And at the same time, he could also just be, you know, uh, a poor negotiator or a massive troll or whatever. So when you think about it, what do you think is the motivation? He should have caught it in due diligence. He should have caught it earlier. It doesn't seem very real. What do you think he's doing it for? Is this just to drag Twitter yeah, it's or, to, yeah. or to get a, no, no, no. a, a oh, discount? Oh, so you get a massive discount for sure. Get a massive discount. That's, that's, what it's, that's the whole thing. Is gonna, it will get resolved by getting a massive discount. Because this whole thing started with him convincing the board that they needed to take his offer because it was such at a premium even then. This is now a month ago, right? Yeah. And the stock market has gotten hit pretty hard. His own stock has gotten hit pretty hard. So now that 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 premium is even higher than what it was when it started. So I think to me this is all about just negotiating for a new price. And it feels like the kind of thing that I, I just really hate the way that he's doing it, doing it all through Twitter, literally sending out tweaks. And then put into question the whole value, but I think it makes him look really bad. Like, so you're telling me that you never thought about this? Like, when you were acquiring a bunch of the shares to begin with, when you put in the first offer, when you went and raised a bunch of capital from a bunch of other folks that are all just want to be part of the deal with you because they want to, they want to be in business, air quotes, with Elon Musk. Like, that doesn't give me a lot of confidence. And to me, it actually kind of questions him as a leader and all the other things that he's doing. And that's the kind of response. I think he's really smart, but but I think he also probably at least historically, maybe still now, attracts a lot of really smart people that want to work with him. Look, at this point, how much day-to-day is he actually running on either Tesla or the, what's it called, the Boring Company? The Boring Company and Neuralink and, yeah, SpaceX. Yeah, like, how much of that is he actually running, right? Or does he just have really good people now that are running those businesses? Which is great. Look, good for him, right? He he did a lot of that to to get it going and maybe did a lot of this initial vision. No, I'm just, sure. But, I mean, how different yeah, is that from any of, CEO of a massive conglomerate? How much is, like, you know, Jamie Dimon doing at Morgan Chase or Wharf Citibank or wherever these guys are It is different, Charlie, but the, but the thing, right, I, I kind of go back to, is this a guy that was, everyone thinks of him as one of the smartest, most innovative persons, like entrepreneurs that we've had in a very, very long time. And look, and I, and I think he is that. The question to me is like, almost thinking, think of him like an athlete, right? Is this a guy that was an all-star, that was kind of a, you know, a game changer that is now on the downside of that? Or is he still that? Yeah. Right? And that's what I start putting into question, how much of that is he still this this force of innovation, this entrepreneur that we should all be looking up to? Or is it something that more is now just his legacy of what he did? It is more of a reflection of who he is now. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, all of us go, we fade in some areas and hopefully we pick up in others, right? So I, I don't think it's like, um, I would hope nobody would use the same ruler to measure me in my 20s as now in my 40s, right? It's a different thing. And there's some things that I've gotten better at and other things that, frankly, are, are, are like, are, I can't run at that same rate anymore. And I think, it, I think it works the same way for everybody. But interesting that you brought up the stock because, you know, the stock that has gone up after this tweet is Tesla. Oh, interesting. Because they're excited for him to get out of it, right? There's like another massive destruction, uh, distraction, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. of course. So, I so, mean... So, listen, man, maybe he's playing 3D chess here. That's all it was. <laughs> and see, and if, he, and if he is, you might have to go, you have to go back and say, maybe he is actually that smart. Uh, Who knows? Yeah, man. Evil I, I genius, take it all but back. Smart. He is a genius. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's thinking 10 moves ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Uh, but no, this is, I, I hate this type of negotiation, dude. Like, if this is what you wanted, like, just say that. You do, you have tons of leverage. There's like a, I think like a billion dollar buyout. I think is that what it is, right? Yeah. For the deal, because you were putting, but for a guy like him, you can't do that. Just having like dragged them through the, he still owns nine percent of shares, so you can still do a lot there, right? Yeah, um, but there is like a billion dollar, yeah, uh, like a breakup fee or something. If you if you end up right, not right, right, not right, doing right, the right. deal, you basically pay them, and it's a way to kind of keep them in the deal. But yeah, clearly this isn't done. 
Um, what is interesting, mm -hmm. Charlie, and I'm sure you've seen uh, the CEO of Twitter, that he's made a number of moves since the announcement. Like, actually has restructured some of the team, let go of some folks. Uh, and it is, it is to me, very interesting, kind of the motivation for him. And maybe it's the kind of thing, look, while I have the reins, I'm going to do whatever I think it needs to be done. Maybe I can use that as an excuse to make some changes that I've been wanting to make and got a little bit fire in the belly. So you can also see a scenario where Twitter is better off at the end of the day, even if Elon decides not to move forward. Or, or maybe he's really smart and he's doing like, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, combat operations too, where, you know, in, in some of our uh, warfare, it's very common for militaries as they leave to destroy the places that they've been. So that when the when the enemy comes in, he's salting the ground. <laughs> yeah, basically salting the ground. He, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I, I hope not. But but there definitely been a lot. I think of that would not be very smart of him to do that, especially with you know, because he's still a pretty young guy. That guy like in his forties, right? I think so he's younger he's, than he's that. He's in his dude, late thirties. So. Is he late? Yeah, I think yeah, he's thirty-eight. So I think to do that at this stage is probably not a smart move for him because he's still a lot of. Role I think time. he's going to be just fine no matter what. I mean, financially, who knows about, you know, public perception and all that stuff. Very, very interesting. But, yeah, the Tesla stock went, uh, went up pretty high as a result, and Twitter's still where it, where it is. So we'll see where this nets out. Uh, Elon claims to still be committed to this deal. Um, I have my doubts. We'll, uh, we'll wait, see. Wait, what do you think of Tesla? Do you, do you see Tesla as a um, – when I think of Tesla owners, I still see them as very – I think we talked about this last time, right? Yeah. Like very left-leaning mm -hmm. in many ways, mm -hmm. even though now you have a CEO that – you know, more and more, the more he talks, the more he sounds much more right-leaning, right? He was, he's been, I think he was just quoted maybe yesterday or today talking about he's going to vote Republican on uh, the next election. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously he's had his beef with California, moving some of the, moving the company out into Texas. It, it, it feels like, it feels like kind of, it's kind of an interesting dynamic with him, right? It is. And you're saying, well, what's the impact on the, on the brand and the brand user? Yeah, I just kind of wonder what. The, well, I mean, it's actually brand, a great question um, because Tesla, in a way, has been certainly in its early days, and even today, a little bit of a badge of honor, right? It's sort of like I'm innovative, I'm environmentally conscious, I'm technology forward, and therefore that's why I drive a Tesla, right? So, in a way, because there's such a so much of that rolled into the brand and the brand ownership experience, when the very visible head of this brand and creator of it takes a tack that you feel contravenes that then that's got to mm -hmm. come off on that brand perception so i mean i don't know i don't know how it'd be great to see how sales are going uh you know i live in la i would so love to see a brand study for sure of tesla for sure see how that's changed i'm sure right? it has because i also think put aside but is it offset by new people though jesus is it offset by new buyers yeah potentially potentially right uh what i find interesting is like put aside elon for a second and just the brand itself we when i see like honestly when i'm in la there was, I was in Culver City, one of the, like the newer areas in Culver City, and I walked into this, I, I, I drove into this parking lot, and I swear, in one of the floors, it felt like every single car was a Tesla. Yeah. Every single car yeah. that was parked in there. And it's like, I see Tesla now, and I kind of barf a little bit inside my mouth. It's, it's a taxi Because you feel like so over, like it's so overplayed, it's so the obvious, is like the, oh, look at me, I care about the environment, but I also want to show that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm wealthy as well, right? It's like, I want to flex, and like, um, I'm somehow more conscious. And I feel like the brand is taking a step back. It could be literally just me having this perception of it. And I don't see the the, the more, like, truck-driving crowds so all of a sudden want to embrace it, right, and replace those folks that were historically in that Well, in maybe that that's why he's making trucks, you know what I mean, or trying to. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I think there's also a supposition in that, though, where you would think less variety, you know, sameness, all of that is bad. But look at the cell phone market, right? Everyone has, generally speaking, you either have an iPhone or you have an Android. And to see an iPhone in somebody's hand is like the most normal thing in the world. And, sure. you know, you, maybe he views conveyance moving from one place to another as an industry that in time loses variability and becomes more same. Because the question is, I'm trying to get from A to B, not I'm trying to drive a status symbol. We get our status in different ways, social, et cetera. So maybe he's saying but like... the whole brand has been built on status symbol, though, to begin with, don't you think? Yeah, but I'm saying the entire industry, the entire, like, it, maybe he's okay with the Tesla yeah, yeah, yeah. being the iPhone. The iPhone has no, like, everyone's got an iPhone. Nobody has like, I have like this kind, like, who cares? I mean, you have a different model, but it's all an right. iPhone. 
Maybe he thinks cars are the iPhone. Like, it doesn't matter that you have, you know, back when we were coming up, it was like, oh, this guy drives a Chevy and you drive a Ford. That means you guys look at the world differently. Not so much anymore. And if anything, um, you know, nameplate diversification has shrunken, right? Ford, I think it was Ford, no, GM. You know, and these automotive uh, manufacturers here in the U.S. famously are like not making sedans anymore, right? And they're like, they're, so, mm-hmm. so a lot of the things that were our kind of way of showing who we were expressed by cars. I do think that that, like playing the super long game, I do think it's going to be right. more about things that convey us from A to B looking the same than not. I do think that we're going in that direction. Yeah, I just put them like in that, as you always say, that dog sweater crowd. And <laughs> yeah. when they see the the Tesla, like, ah, oh, I just want to barf a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, just, no, yeah. Just, maybe it could be a, a really a very unique L.A. thing. And especially on the west side of L.A. that it just, there's just There's everywhere. too many. It's like, oh. Oh. There's just too many, and it just feels very overplayed. And I, I was know. on my they're great cars. I, I was on my bike, uh, my motorcycle this morning, going to a meeting, and um, I mean, they were every and in a row. They were everywhere and in a row. There was like three, four, five Teslas, one behind the other, right? So, uh, right, and I, right, I joke right. with somebody recently. It's like the LA taxi cab because that's you know it, it, there are so many. That's what I mean, yeah, there are so many. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's so who I mean. knows? Maybe maybe there's a whole crop of new buyers who are like, oh yeah, now I care about a Tesla. And I would have never bought one before, but now I will. I have no idea where right. that goes. But I definitely right. think there's some impact to the brand. But does it matter if you're picking up new folks in, in a different way? Who knows? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe. We'll see. All right, Jesus. Well, that's our show. That's our three Courage or Cringes. Unless you got something else. You want to throw in a wild card? No, no, no wild card. I have. A, uh, by the way, I do have another movie rant, but I feel like... <laughs> How many of these I could do in a row? Just, just, Did you watch the the new uh, um, what's it called? Uh, Doctor Strange? No, multiverse no, of madness. I, I kind of even oh, even the trailer. Well, yeah, because it's all backwards buildings and mind bending. It's like it, it's like it's fine as one yeah, part of a movie, like but if the really, whole movie's that, it's tough. They just really like it's not quite uh, Fast and the Furious because that that is the whole is its own category, but it is. Uh, graphics over story yeah. like visual effects over story right and I think they did that here and I like, just show you enough people so that it get people interested and it's all about the easter eggs of who's going to show up in this potential uh, story and it's just yeah it just was not was not very good there's a it's lot of complexity of the, the there ones that I think that they've done and not yeah. only in complexity around a complex concept right a multiverse like that's already tough if you would have shot them the, the 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 film with one camera and one person talking to it and talking about the multiverse that's more than a lot of people can can stomach but then you've got all this kind of graphic overlay and spiritual by the way and, and I think it made me think about effects. you um well, maybe think of like the no, maybe I use the wrong, the wrong word to say, but maybe think about the people that are in the anti woke movement mm-hmm. that feel like everything is overly woke. Mm-hmm. So, because look, I, you know, I'm pretty liberal, but I could also understand, I can see from that perspective where people are like, oh, this is just overly wokeness here, right? So, in the movie, they have the very first lat- that I can remember, the first Latino, Latina in this case, character, like superhero. Right, the character name is Marina. No, no, no. I'm sorry, America Chavez. Mm-hmm. Right, and she's like she was in this comic book a couple of years yeah, ago for the first time. And right, she is uh, yeah, America Chavez. Right, like I love the last name. Great. So Latina, like teenager, right? And in the story, in the movie, you know, the parents are two like gay women, mm-hmm. right? Like those are the parents. And to me, it's like. When I saw that, I kind of chuckled because I could totally see someone looking at this and like losing, pulling their hair out. But like, oh my god! Like, what other category we're gonna, you know, we're we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna hit here? Like, oh, she's like, she's a woman, she's Latina. The parents are gay. Oh, by the way, she has a disability. Uh, oh, and she's also trans. And then like, like you know, you're like packing in a bunch of categories. And I was laughing when I saw it. Like, dude, you couldn't just just do Latina. Like, you really have to like hit all the categories in one new character coming in like, like you're trying to make up for this whole series yeah. of movies all in one character being introduced right like how many boxes can we check all at once and then I, I honestly like my my reaction was a chuckle when I saw that like oh yeah I, I'm, I'm sure the reaction of people going to see them be like ah, I, I'm still I'm, I'm could, still could, couldn't help yourself I'm still waiting for the devout Christian superhero but something tells me I'm going to be waiting a long time Jesus for that one to show up yeah no they should they should have that I think that'd be awesome I think so too. And then, and then, like triple click on it. Like he's, you know, he's Christian, and then he's from, uh, 
uh, Italian, but also uh, like they think of all the like the the and he's also uh, like Orthodox Jew for somehow like one parent and like right. hit all the all the all the re- religions all at one one character <laughs> like has all the influences. Yeah. And I do I know that, that there that there, awesome. there are a couple in the Marvel. I forget what X Men is Marvel is X Men Marvel or DC. I always forget. I'm not. It is yeah X Men. So Marvel. there yeah, there yeah. there is uh, Nightcrawler is Catholic and pretty devout. That's the blue one, right? That has all yeah, tattoos the tattoos and the arms. And there was a couple. Yeah, I remember him. There was yeah. a couple scenes, but I wouldn't call him a superhero, but certainly a character. Um, and then the other yeah. one is, um, I want to say it's Daredevil, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I get Daredevil confused with the other one. There's like a really like obscene one who's like they had that R-rated movie was the first superhero R-rated one. What, it wasn't Daredevil. What was that one? You know what I'm talking about? He wears red too, and he's got like two swords that he pulls out. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're talking about um, uh, is with. Uh, I, can't think, I can't think of it right now, but I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. Well, that one. That's not Daredevil is, though, right? Uh, yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. That's so not, anyway, no, that no. so Daredevil, I believe Daredevil and um, Nightcrawler. Well, I know Nightcrawler is. I believe Daredevil is also Christian, Catholic specifically. Um, so th- those are the two examples in the Marvel verse uh, that I can that I can think of. But uh, but anyway, I, I'm not. Uh, I don't think there's going to be an introduction of a new one anytime soon. But we'll see. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it'd be good too. Uh, you're talking about Deadpool. So Deadpool. So about. not Deadpool. Da- I get Deadpool and Daredevil confused all the time because they're both. Wearing yeah, head to toe probably red. Probably not Deadpool. I don't What's think. What's that? I, probably, probably not. No, no, Deadpool. definitely not I, Deadpool. I, 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 definitely not Deadpool. I'm just saying I get confused okay. between the names of each one. Got it. Got it's it, the it. one yeah, who's yeah, yeah. blind and a lawyer. That one, which is Daredevil. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Dare, Daredevil. Yeah, Daredevil. Yeah, Daredevil. Yeah, and then Nightcrawler is the blue one that can like teleport from place to place. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. See. So see we representation. Check, we check all the boxes. Any any of the, any of the boxes we can check real quick. I know, like I'm off for representation, but the, but do you really hit every single character, uh, the category on <laughs> when dressing a new character? Exactly. You know? Yeah. I just, I just found it hilarious. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what comes next. All right, Asus. Uh, anything else for our friends from New York, no. live from New York? Anything else? We'll see where where we are next week when we're recording the next episode. I know where I'm. So we, we have to start doing like a poll, right? We'll be about to like guess where well, we are. I'm going to be in Florida coming up here for a couple of weeks, and I know you're going to be somewhere else. So I'm sure we'll have more remotes. So I have to take all my gear on the road. But anyway, we're committed. So hopefully people appreciate that. All right, Jesus. Um, if that's all, then we will sign off and see everybody again next time on TDR. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.